The reading is Exodus 24, verses 1 to 18. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Narab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but most alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and he offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the, work, this is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel, went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement, made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against his leaders, the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me in the mountain and stay here, and I'll give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his assistant, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in the dispute can go to them. When God went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Zionai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed in the mountain forty days and forty nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hannah, thank you very much uh, for reading that. Well, I want you to imagine with me. I want you to imagine it's one of those lazy Saturday mornings. You've been able to stay in bed until half ten, eleven, something like that. Oh, marvellous. Uh, you've, you've got up, had a nice cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is you like. You're reading the paper. Lovely. Nice nice morning. And then you decide, oh, it's, it's turned into quite a nice day. I'll go for a stroll. So you have a stroll out to Platfields Park, maybe. Maybe you venture into Birchfields. Maybe you're really adventurous. You go all the way to Alexandra Park. Uh, and you just have a lovely time wandering around. And as you're making your way back home, approaching your front door, your phone buzzes. And you've got a message. And it's a text message and it says this. Do you want to come round to mine for dinner tonight, Liz? Oh, great, you think. Nice, relaxed afternoon. Now, might uh, just put my feet up, just have another cup of tea, something like that. Then I have a, a shower um, and then uh, put on my new jeans and I'll go around to Liz's for dinner. But then you walk through your front door and on the mat, there's one of those sort of impressive looking envelopes. It's got gold sort of writing 
calligraphy sort of style thing. You, you know, the kind of thing. And it really catches the eye and you're like, oh, what's that? And you pick it up and you open it and there is, the Lord Steward has received Her Majesty's command to invite and it's your name. It's a bit different, isn't it? The text message inviting you round to your friend Liz's is a bit different to being invited round to Her Majesty Elizabeth II's for a royal banquet. See, how we respond to an invitation and how we think of an invitation often depends upon who it is who's giving the invitation, who it is who's offering to host us. And in our sermon series uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at various kinds of human hospitality. We've seen how David showed hospitality to Mephibosheth. We've seen uh, how Paul received hospitality from the people on Malta. But the last three of our series are actually just taking a different angle shifting gear a little bit, because we're going to look at three examples where God shows hospitality, where God is the host. And um, this is this is the first of those three. Now, it's important to just say at the start of these three, I think, God is hosting us all the time. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, for you created all things, and by your will they are created and have their being. And what that verse means is that every moment of our lives and our existence, we are held in existence by God's will. The only reason we keep existing in this universe, in his universe, is because he wills us to carry on existing And he wills the universe to carry on existing. So every moment of each of our lives, we are being hosted by God in his universe. And I don't know about you, but actually, that really helped me this week. It gave me a real mindset shift. It's easy when we think of this topic of hospitality to do it grudgingly. And when we offer hospitality and maybe we don't get the invites back and we think we're always hosting someone and they're never hosting us, it's easy to think, well, I'm giving a lot and what am I getting? And actually, it's very tempting to think like that. I think like that. It's easy to put myself and what I'm doing at the center of the universe. But the Bible encourages us to put God at the center of the universe. And by doing that and remembering that every second of our lives... We are being shown wonderful hospitality by the Lord of the universe. I think it does refocus and reshift us when we're thinking of this topic. We're all receiving hospitality from the ultimate host. But why is it we don't think like that? I think one of the reasons we find it hard to, to, to think like that is uh, because it feels quite remote. If you invite me to your house or I invite you to mine, I can see you, you can see me. You can see who it is who's giving you the hospitality. If, um, if you go even to a royal banquet at Buckingham Palace, the odds are you'll get at least a couple of minutes of a grip and grin and a bit of face time with the Queen. You can see who it is who's offering you hospitality. We can't see God with our physical eyes. And I think that's part of the reason why so often we don't think of our lives as being offered and being shown hospitality every Minute. Now, what Exodus 24 shows us, it's not the only place in the Bible, but it is one place in the Bible that shows us this, is that's not the way God wants it to be forever. God wants us to get closer to him. So if this hospitality that he's giving us every second of the day feels a bit remote, that's not what God wants. He wants an intimate friendship. 
He wants a close personal relationship with us. And Exodus 24 makes that point. And there are a few things we see here. But here's the first. God invites his people to him. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord. And if we pause there for a second, that sounds quite formal. Come up to the Lord. Until we realize that in the original language, in the Hebrew, uh, when we see, see the word Lord in capitals there, that's actually God's name. It's the Hebrew letters YHWH, or our equivalent, YHWH. And because there were no vowels in the original, we don't quite know how to pronounce it. So our best guess is something like Yahweh. But because we don't know, when we translate it in the Bible, we just put the Lord. But it's important to realize that because this is God's own personal special name that he revealed to Moses and the Israelites. He says, look, everyone else out there, they just know me as God. I'm going to tell you my own personal name. It's a privilege you get to call me by name. So when he says, come up to the Lord, it's a personal invitation for his people. You get a special privilege. You can come to me. Now, there are certain restrictions. As you heard the reading, you'll have seen there were some restrictions to this invitation. We'll think about them in a minute. But let's not miss this. God invites his people to him, to a personal meeting with him, to personal fellowship with him. His, his hospitality to them is always about the relationship. You may have seen the show, Come Dine With Me. And people offer hospitality, but the whole point of that hospitality is to get a good review to get a good rating, to get a good mark, because then you can win some money. It's a, it's a game show. That's not, that's not the kind of hospitality God has in mind. It's not about getting good reviews. It's about his relationship with his people. He wants a real living relationship with his people. And sometimes we miss this. And we miss that this is the heart of the Christian message. This is the heart of the gospel. We can often get very focused and fixated on the idea of forgiveness and being rescued from sin. Now, don't mishear me. That's really good news, that there is forgiveness in Jesus. It's really important. But if that's where our gospel message, if that's where Christianity ends, it's a pretty cheap and hollow version of Christianity. And yet, often that is the way Christianity gets presented. Do you want to, do you want to be forgiven? But there's a lot more to it than that. Even the book of Exodus, how often do we teach Exodus and we stop at chapter 15 after the exciting rescue story? It's got another 25 chapters. And the point of those next 25 chapters is God showing his people that he wants to be close to them. He wants a personal relationship with them. He wants to get near them. And that is great news because of who it is who's making that invitation. God is the source of all beauty, goodness, joy, happiness, blessedness in the universe. He is an ocean of infinite goodness, love, blessing, beauty, whatever you want. Uh, all the good things that are, they flow out of who he is. You, you might uh, know somebody and you say they're, they're the sort of person who lights up a room. They just need to walk into a room and there's a buzz. There's a crackle about the place. You just love being around them. The Bible says... The true and living God is, is like that for the whole universe. When his presence comes into view, 
it lights the place up. We, we're going to see that in just a few verses' time. Being in his presence is a delight for our souls. And if that's not right at the heart of your gospel message, that, that what the gospel enables is that to happen, you can be in the presence of this God. And that that is a thrilling and exciting thing. Then it, it's not even half a gospel. It really has to be right at the heart of it all. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism was written about four or five hundred years ago. And it's a series of question and answers explaining the Christian faith. And the first question is this. I apologize for the slightly outdated language, but it was written four or five hundred years ago. What is the chief end of man? Translated into modern speech, what's the whole meaning and purpose of your existence? What's the point of a human life? And the answer it gives is this, the the chief end of of human beings, the purpose of life, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. When you get who the God of the Bible is, you realize that, that being with him, being near him, is something to enjoy, to delight in. And when you see all that and know all that background... I don't know about you, but it changes the way I read verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, come up to the Lord. It's a much more exciting verse when you recognize who it is who's offering the invitation. God invites his people to him. But then, secondly, God makes the necessary preparations. Because you will have noticed, as it was read, there were restrictions. They had to worship at a distance in verse 1. In verse 2, only Moses can come all the way up. Everyone else can't. And then we see that 70 or so of them are allowed to come halfway up the mountain and they experience something amazing, which we'll think about in a minute. Uh, but, But most of the people have to stay further down. Why all these restrictions? Why can't they all just come straight up to the top with Moses? Well, in the unfolding story of Exodus, Uh, What we're learning about the people and what we know about each of our own hearts, we've already acknowledged it as we confess today, is that they're sinful. And sinful people cannot be in the presence of a holy God. That's the kind of tragedy of our, our existence. The thing we are most yearning for, longing for, the beauty and goodness and love our, our hearts and souls want is only found ultimately in God's presence, but our sin means we can't be there. Now that's not God being mean or harsh or stingy. Actually, for a sinful heart to come into God's presence would be a a crushing experience. It It would make you want to run away and hide. You'd feel so ashamed in the light of his beauty and perfection to have your your sin there. And you'd want to run away. I was trying to I was trying to think of a way of explaining that, and this is the best I could come up with. A really sort of small example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. Imagine you had got that invitation to Buckingham Palace. And imagine you were taking a big day trip down to London to go and meet the Queen at, at Buckingham Palace. And you take a walk around London's many parks and all the rest of it beforehand. And then as you're waiting to go in, lined up, queuing up, you suddenly realize that somewhere along the way, you stepped in a huge dog poo. How do you feel as you realize that and you're about to walk into Buckingham Palace? You're like, ah, I need to get that off. That is unclean. I can't be walking around the carpets in Buckingham Palace with dog dirt on my shoe. That is not going to be good. You're going to feel nervous. You're not going to feel relaxed. You're going to feel embarrassed. You're going to want to just say anything. Just get it off. 
it's a slightly silly example, but coming before God with a sinful heart, it's that feeling of unworthiness, that feeling of uncleanness, that feeling of shame and embarrassment, but magnified infinitely. It's why sinful people can't just wander into God's presence. It's not just God uh, being uh, harsh or mean. It's, it's, it's God knowing that we couldn't bear it. And so we can't walk into his perfect holiness unprepared. And so in verses 3 to 8, we get God preparing his people to come into his presence. First of all, he gives them the protocols, the, the words and laws, we're told. The Lord's words and laws are, are told to the people by Moses. A bit like when you meet the queen, you're, you're given a protocol. You're saying, don't speak unless she speaks to you first. And this is the order you bow to people in and all the rest of it. And, and if you don't have all that, you sort of feel a bit self-conscious. What do I do? I don't know where to stand. I don't know where to look. So God gives the people the laws, the commands that, that show his character and what he wants of his people. And then there's this weird sort of scene where uh, they sacrifice these burnt offerings And they put blood in a bowl. And then Moses takes the blood out. Moses took half the blood in verse 6 and put it in bowls. The other half, he splashed against the altar. And then he took uh, this book, which has all the law of God in it. uh, And he sprinkles that with blood. And then he sprinkles the people with blood. And there's blood everywhere. And what's going on here? Well, well, this is another part of the preparation. Uh, The blood represents sacrifices. It's an acknowledgement that sin requires a penalty, and the, the penalty for sin is, is death. It's turning away from the God of life. It's choosing death rather than life to do that. Uh, but these animals die, and when their blood is sprinkled on the altar, a place of sacrifice, it's, it's a sign that God will accept the sacrifice of an animal in place of people. It will make atonement for sin. It will wipe the sin away. And then he sprinkles the blood on the people, and when it touches them, they realize it's for them. This is their covenant with God. This is them being cleansed by the blood. They are being brought into a relationship with God. It's being made possible for them to go up the mountain too. And so God is making all the necessary preparations for his people to come to him. And after making the preparations, well, what do they get? They get a foretaste of a feast to come. Verse 9, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. They saw the God of Israel. And God lights up the mountain. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, sapphire, bright blue, as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. Because of the preparations God had made, he made it possible for the sinful people to be made clean and enter his presence without being destroyed. They saw God and they ate and drank. They had an intimate fellowship experience with God. And what an amazing experience that must have been. I don't know where the most amazing place you've ever had a meal is. Once or twice I've been invited out to a few fancy places. Once I got an invitation to Lambeth Palace uh, for for a meal there. That was quite nice. Uh, We even had an orange juice once in uh, the revolving restaurant in the Schilthorn, the the mountain at the top top of the mountain in Switzerland. Uh, We only could afford an orange juice. It's very expensive. Uh, But, you know, it's pretty stunning being there. You know, wow, this is amazing. 
But compared to this, nothing. What, a, what an experience those 70 elders must have had. But did you notice? It's incomplete. We're told they saw God, but when they describe what was seen, they see his feet. And they see the pavement, the floor. It's as if they don't see above the knees. They only catch a glimpse. And though they're able to go up the mountain, there is more still to see. Because Moses gets to go up further. It's not the whole thing. Because as amazing as this experience was, and as kind as it was for God to to invite them and open up his presence to them just a little bit, it wasn't everything. It was just a glimpse. There is always more to come. Now, this is actually wonderful news. A couple of years ago, there was a student who was talking to me. And when they were talking, it, it became clear that they were really worried about the idea of heaven or the new creation or eternity. Because they were like, that seems like quite a long time. Aren't I going to get really bored? I mean, surely the time's going to come when I've learned every new skill I can learn, learned every new language I can learn, and I'm still going to have eternity. Aren't I going to get really bored? And what I hope I said, and what I think I said, was... No, because at the heart of eternity is God. And there is always more to know of God. The Israelites come partway up the mountain and they get a glimpse. And that glimpse must have been enough to sort of the greatest experience of any of their lives. But it is only a glimpse. There's way more to come. God is an infinite ocean of beauty and goodness and love. And you will never run out of him. You will never run out of new things to learn and new surprises uh, to enjoy. And just when he turns up here, it's kind of such an earth-shattering experience, such an amazing thing. It, It just gives us a hint that there's so much more of him that we can enjoy. We can be worshiping, loving and knowing him for all eternity. We will never reach the end. There will always be more goodness, always be more beauty. Always be more love to find out about and enjoy. Who gets this really well is um, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Last Battle in the Narnia Chronicles. And at the end, he says, all the stories I've told you about Narnia, they get into the real Narnia. And, And he says, all the stories I've told you about Narnia, they're just the front cover and the title page. The real story is a story which never ends, where every chapter is better than the one before. That's what our future hope is like with a God like this. That is the feast to come. This was an amazing meal. The Bible says the feast to come, and we'll think about it a bit more next week, is is a feast that can satisfy our souls forever. It's a glimpse. Hopefully it's an exciting glimpse. I'm sure it was exciting for the elders who went up, but it is still just a glimpse. And we know there's more to come. Because whilst these sacrifices uh, did enough uh, and cleansed the people enough so they could come this far and see this much, the Bible tells us these sacrifices were only ever pointing forward to another sacrifice. 
the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus who makes possible full and complete access to this God. That's when we can walk into his presence and not just get a glimpse, but get God on full volume. Let the ocean of his love wash over us, bathe in the beauty of his perfections forever. Come to know more and more of his goodness. And so a little challenge for us all. I'm so quick to forget this part of my Christian faith and life and discipleship that actually I'm going to be spending eternity getting to know this God better. Now, it's certainly true, you can know lots about somebody without knowing them, but I don't think the reverse is true. I don't think you can say you know somebody well if you don't know a little bit about them. So here's a little challenge. Will we spend some time this year getting to know more of our God, spending time learning more about him, coming to a deeper knowledge and hopefully a deeper love and trust along with that? We we can do that through our own times in the Bible, through praying. There are lots of great resources out there that might help us and feed us and nourish us and, and get us thinking more about God and his glory and his goodness and his greatness and his grace. Uh, if you want one uh, recommendation, can I recommend, I read this book uh, a year or two ago. Uh, I found it enormously helpful. It's called His Love Endures Forever, Reflections on the Love of God by Gary Williams. I think it's an excellent book. It's quite, quite a stretching book at times. It can be quite hard work. Um, I don't want to sell you that it's super easy. But it is so enriching and delighting to focus and meditate on the love of this God. Friends, we're going to be meditating on that love for eternity if we're believers in Christ. Let's start enjoying him now more and more and more because there is so much to enjoy. Well, I'm going to pray um, and then we'll sing in a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for this glimpse. Just a glimpse, but thank you for it in the book of Exodus. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you that you desire to host your people. And it's relational. It's about being with them. And thank you that actually us being with you is what our souls are longing for, what our hearts are desiring. So Lord, we pray that you would... Encourage us with these truths and encourage us to want more of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.